Well, please uh, turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. We're back in the book of Galatians this morning, and as, as you turn there, let me just echo what Blake said earlier. We would love to have you come to lunch today after this service in the banquet room right across the hall if you're a, a newcomer, or really if you've not had your free lunch yet. Uh, the, your, the invitation is for you. We'd love to, to have lunch with you and spend some time with you, and, and maybe there's some questions you have about the church, or just, just kind of want to, to begin to get connected. It can be hard on a Sunday morning to, to, you know, with all the busyness of coming in and all the people to, to really have some time for some good communication at, at points, especially knowing who to go up to and talk to. And so if, if you're new, we'd love to have lunch with you today after, after church. It'll take a couple minutes to turn the room around, but uh, banquet, I think, uh, A, right across the hall after church. And then also, uh, Blake mentioned this, but I want to again echo this evening, encourage you to come back. Mentioned last Sunday evening service we had, that we're going to kind of spend the rest of this, this year and the beginning of next part of 2019 on Sunday nights when we have Sunday night services talking about kind of Bethany community at 10. Uh, what, what is God uh, calling us to, to do and, and what sort of things does he have for us over the next few years as, as he allows? And one of the main things we're going to be talking about is, is our teaching statement. And so we're talking about making some revisions to that, not changing the, the content of what we believe, but how we express that. And it's just a great opportunity for us to kind of go through and say, okay, how can we best communicate the things that we believe and how can we talk about them? As, as a church. And so come back this evening. We're going to be talking about Scripture, what we believe about what God says about His Word and how we're to respond to it and uh, live by it and its sufficiency and its authority in our lives. And so we'll talk about that. There'll be opportunities just for, kind of for some conversation and, uh, and some other things to talk about. And then affirming some people and membership. And so that will be exciting also. So we're here in Galatians 1 again. And remember, what Galatians is about. Galatians is about finding our freedom in the true gospel. And we've seen that the first two chapters of Galatians are about the source of the gospel. So Paul is saying, here's the true gospel. Here's the, the gospel that you find freedom in. You don't find freedom in works. You don't find freedom in Judaism. You don't find freedom in anything but the gospel and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he spends the, the first two chapters of the six chapters of Galatians talking about the source of the true gospel. Where does this gospel come from? And he tells us this gospel comes from who? From God. God himself. But he doesn't just say the gospel comes from God and moves, move on. What Paul does in these first two chapters is offer some proofs. Hey, here's some things that, as the Spirit of God speaks within you, that can help you uh, affirm this understanding that the gospel comes from God. The first proof that he gives is the proof of his conversion. Remember, he talks about, this is, this is who I was. I was persecuting the church of God violently. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers, Paul says. And so Paul says, look, if God can, can take someone like me, who is passionately persecuting the church, and turn me into someone who is passionately proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, that's one proof that this gospel came from God. And then three weeks ago, we began talking about Paul's calling, his calling. And he says, my calling is another proof that this gospel message is, is not from man, but from God. 
In fact, John Newton once said, only the God who created the world can create a minister of the gospel. In other words, there's something profound about the call to ministry that, that shows us the genuineness of the gospel and its source in God himself. And if you remember, three weeks ago, which is, is a while ago, I, I recognize that, but if you remember that long ago as we were talking about Galatians 1, we talked about Paul's, Paul's conversion, and we saw that there are some things about Paul's conversion story that are, that are common to all of us. Paul was elected by God. He was, he was chosen by God himself. But he wasn't just chosen to come into relationship with God. He was, he was chosen by God to come into relationship with him and engage in ministry. He was called to something, uh, to do something. And that's true for all of us who are believers. God has a purpose for us. Remember Kirk, as he prayed this morning, uh, prayed, uh, prefaced it with Ephesians 2. And Ephesians 2.10 talks about works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's common to all of us. Now, there are also some things about Paul's story of conversion that are unique to Paul. In other words, I, I don't think anyone else in here has been called to God for salvation and ministry on the road to Damascus with a bright light. And, you know, I, I, I don't think any of you are involved in that kind of apostolic ministry. If you are, we need to talk because you're a heretic, okay? Um, or delusional. They're somewhat the same thing sometimes, but that's unique to Paul, okay? That's just Paul. None of us have been called that way to that ministry. So there are some aspects of Paul's call to ministry that are unique to him, some parts of his ministry that are common to all of us, but this morning, and and maybe next week we'll see how far I get this morning, there are also some aspects of Paul's call to ministry that are unique to a a certain group of people, to, to pastors elders, pastors, overseers, those who have been called to gospel ministry proclamation. And it's important for us at Bethany Community Church to understand what it means to be called to that type of ministry and how we as a church should evaluate those that we would call to be pastors, to be called to be elders. It's the same office in Scripture. So we're going to talk about that this morning. But let's uh, first read the text and let's, let's talk a little bit about that as we go into God's Word. And so if you're able to, if you'd stand with me in honor of God as we read His Word together. Again, this is Paul proving the source of his gospel is, is from God, and he's talking about the source of the gospel. And the, the second proof of the source of the gospel being from God he gives is his calling. And so we begin in verse 15. He says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born... And who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for fifteen days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. What I am writing to you, I do not... Uh, what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still a known in person to, person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. 
You may be seated. May God encourage us, strengthen us, equip us through his word this morning. And Father, we do ask that you would protect Bethany Community Church. We pray that you would protect uh, other churches that are represented here this morning who are worshiping with us. We, we pray that we would be careful uh, to rightly call and equip uh, the men you've called and equipped to the ministry. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, talking today about the call to ministry, the call to pastoral ministry, kind of a more specific application of some of the truths here in these verses for us to, to think about. It seemed like a, a good passage for us to talk about some of these things. And as, as we talk about these things, I think it's important for us to, to think through these things because sometimes we don't think about the call to ministry, to pastoral ministry, rightly. Sometimes as a church, a church might have a, a young man come and say, you know what, um, I, I think that I'm, I'm called to ministry because I'm kind of a, I'm a go-getter. And I think I can be a go-getter for the kingdom of God, and so I, I think I'm called to ministry. And a church sometimes will say, well, you know, uh, this guy wants to go into the ministry. Uh, you know, we need more people in ministry. We need more missionaries planting churches. We need more church plant pastors. We need more discipleship and senior pastors. Let's let's go for this. We need more elders. Okay, if you want to do this, let's do this. Or a a person might say, you know what, Um, I know the Bible well. And the church might say, well, that guy guy does know the Bible well. I guess guess he should be a pastor elder. Or a person might say, I'm a a great speaker. I'm I'm very eloquent. I'm certainly more eloquent than that other guy we have on Sunday mornings. And so maybe uh, I'm called to pastoral ministry. And the church says, well, you are a good speaker. You're a gifted teacher. So maybe, maybe so. Or I've had people come to me sometimes and say, well, um, I, I tried doing other things in life, was completely unsuccessful in, in those areas, uh, need a job, and obviously you don't have to do that much to be a pastor, so maybe, maybe I'm called to that. It doesn't take a lot of talent, clearly. And I said, well, um, hurts a little, but um, that's not how we know whether or not a person is called to ministry. Now, it's important that we as a church get this right. It's important that we rightly evaluate what it means to be called to pastoral ministry and how we lay hands on people who would say, who we would say, yeah, these men are, and their, and their families, in many cases, are called to this ministry of, of, of being a pastor, especially if it's going to be their vocation. It's going to be what they do full time. Because... There are many hard jobs in the world, but, but being a pastor is, is one of those things, one of those difficult things. In fact, I was reading a book, and I'll, I'll reference this later this morning, uh, Lord willing, but it's, it's a book called The Pastor's Justification by Jared Wilson, The Pastor's Justification. It's one of the, if you want to know how pastors sometimes feel internally and are afraid to, to say out loud, it's a good book. Uh, the pastors, I'm not saying it's me, but um, some of my friends feel these ways sometimes. Uh, Jared Wilson, The Pastor's Justification, and he, he gives some statistics in the beginning of his book that are from a variety of sources. Some of these statistics maybe I've, I've shared with you before, but some of them I don't believe I've ha- I have. And this is what he says about people in the pastoral ministry. He says 80% Again, these various sources, 80% of those in the pastoral ministry believe that the ministry has negatively affected their families. 90% feel they are inadequately trained to cope with ministry demands. 80% of pastors feel unqualified and discouraged. 90% of pastors say that the ministry is completely different from what they thought it would be. 70% 
of pastors constantly fight depression. 70% do not have someone they consider a close friend. 40% report a, a serious conflict with a parishioner at least once a month. 50% of the ministers starting out, listen to this, 50% of ministers starting out will not last five years. And only one in ten who enter the ministry will retire as a pastor. Now, now those are pretty sobering statistics, right? And, and being in one of those hard situations doesn't mean that God didn't call you to the pastorate. So in other words, if you're, if you're in a hard situation, God still can have called uh, that man to the pastorate. But what those numbers do tell us is this. As we lay hands on men for the pastorate, particularly the vocational pastorate that Paul talks about in 1 Timothy, we're asking them to do a hard thing. And we need to be careful that God is in it. We need to, as as much as we can, be confident that the people that we at Bethany Community Church say, yeah, we believe that God is calling you to this ministry, we need to be as confident as we can that indeed God is calling them to that ministry and that we, by God's grace, as a church, have done all that we can to equip them for that ministry. So we're going to talk about that this morning, what that looks like and how we can enter into that evaluation. And also, I think you'll see, There are some great points of application for all of us in the ministries that God has called us to. Here's the main idea that I want us to to grasp as we look at Paul's calling here and all of our calling. The main idea I want us to look at is, is this. We desire to be a church that sacrificially prepares those who are called to the ministry of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a church at Bethany, we want to grow and continue to be a church that sacrificially prepares those who are called to the ministry of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be well-equipped to do that, and we want to be equipping others to do that as well. It takes the church as a whole understanding what that means and being behind it for us to be successful at doing that. So here's what we're going to do. That's the the goal. That's the main thing I want us to get at uh, this week and perhaps next. And What we're going to do is we're going to, first of all, remind ourselves where we are in Paul's story. You know, I think as we go through Galatians, it can sometimes be hard to understand how Galatians fits together with Acts and 1 Corinthians and some other passages. So we're going to talk about Paul's story through the end of chapter 1 of Galatians, and then we're going to ask ourselves some questions, and those questions are designed us to understand. Those questions are designed to help us understand. So you don't have to be eloquent to be a pastor. Uh, Those questions are designed to help us understand God's calling on us and God's calling on those who are called to gospel proclamation ministry as pastors. So let's first of all talk about Paul's story, where we are. The life of the Apostle Paul through Galatians 1. We've talked about before Paul was born in Tarsus and he was trained as a Pharisee by the great Pharisee Gamaliel, and we talked about that took place in his early life, and he was trained by Gamaliel in Jerusalem. As a Pharisee, what did Paul do? After these people begin to emerge, these Jews begin to emerge as these followers of what they called the way, uh, Paul persecuted them. He persecuted those who named the name of Jesus Christ. And then what happened? He was called on the road to Damascus around 33, 34 A.D., And we read about that in Galatians chapter 1 that we talked about a few weeks ago. 
And we also read about it in Acts chapter 9. And many of you have, have come up to me as you've been studying through Galatians. You've also been looking at the book of Acts. And you said, Daniel, uh, I, I don't understand how the book of Acts and Galatians chapter 1 go together. These are some, what I have laid out here are some ways that these events can go together. I'm not sure this is exactly what happened, but I think this is a good way to understand what happened in Paul's life here. So Paul's persecuting the church. He's called on the road to Damascus. We read that in Galatians chapter 1. We read it in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. And then what happens? Then we see that he goes and he stays in Damascus. In fact, Acts chapter, we see that in Galatians 1, Acts chapter 9, verse 19. It says that he was, he was strengthened and then he stayed for some days with the disciples at Damascus. Then what happens is something that's described in Galatians and Acts chapter 9 doesn't mention it. And that can sometimes throw us off because Galatians mentions some details that Acts doesn't mention, and Acts 9 may mention some details that Galatians 1 doesn't mention. Why is that? Remember what the purpose of Acts is, and remember what the purpose of Galatians chapter 1 is. Acts chapter 9, in fact all of Acts, is about the proclamation of the gospel. Luke, the author of Acts, desires his readers to understand how the gospel of Jesus Christ was being proclaimed. Paul, writing in Galatians chapter 1, has a different purpose. He wants to talk about his gospel proclamation ministry, but even more important than that to him, he assumes his readers understand his ministry of gospel proclamation. After all, they were those who placed their faith in Jesus Christ through his gospel proclamation ministry. But more important to him in writing about the events in Galatians chapter 1 is that they understand where his gospel came from. So he's going to emphasize the details that show, hey, look, this was not a message that a bunch of guys sat down with me and said, this is what you're going to say. This is a message that came from God. So Paul mentions in Galatians 1, he mentions a trip to Arabia. Acts chapter 9 does not mention that trip. And by Arabia, he means this area kind of northeast of the Dead Sea. So we do some, see some things in Acts chapter 9 that let us know that Luke isn't telling us everything that happened to Paul during this time. So sometime in Acts chapter 9, verse 19, through Acts chapter 9, verse 25, Paul goes into this region of Arabia that he calls Arabia in Galatians 1, but, but Luke doesn't mention it. But Luke does say this. It says, some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. In other words, this, I'm kind of truncating a lot of details, he says here. And then he, he says, uh, Luke later writes, Many days had passed, and the Jews plotted to kill him. In other words, I'm not telling you, again, everything that happened during this, this time period in Acts chapter 9, but I'm telling you about the details that are relevant in terms of gospel proclamation. And so, in these verses, Luke focuses on the proclamation. He procla- Paul proclaims Jesus in the synagogue. So, at some point, remember, he's a persecutor of the way. He's converted He goes to Damascus. At some point when he's in Damascus, he goes and he spends some time in Arabia. What does he do in Arabia? We're not quite sure. Perhaps it's there that he spends time meditating on the things that he had learned as a Pharisee and now receiving this this new revelation from God about who Jesus Christ is and seeking to understand these things as he proclaims them. And he returns to Damascus. He he proclaims the gospel. He escapes from Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And then... He goes to Jerusalem for his first trip to Jerusalem. Galatians chapter 1, he focuses on what? He focuses on the fact that as he came to Galatia, uh, into Jerusalem, he wasn't being instructed by all the apostles in what to say. 
Now, in Acts chapter 9, it mentions him meeting with the apostles, but it doesn't mention which ones. In Galatians chapter 1, he's specific. Look, I sat down with two of the pillars. He calls them pillars in chapter 2. I sat down with, with Peter, I was, and I was with James. But it wasn't, the purpose of the meeting wasn't for them to sit down and instruct me in the gospel, because the gospel comes from God. And then it talks about how he flees to Tarsus, ministers in Syria and Cilicia, which both Acts 9 and Galatians 1 describe. So that's kind of an overview of what's taking place in Paul's ministry. But notice the end here of, of Acts 9 and the end of Galatians 1 are the same in terms of the emphasis. Acts 9, verse 31, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And in, and in walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it, it multiplied. Galatians chapter 1 talks about Paul says, they, they heard about me proclaiming the faith I once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So both of them are, are ending with the fruit of Paul's ministry here. God, by his gracious call of Paul, uses Paul to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people respond in faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus is the Christ, that he died on the cross for their sins. They place their faith in Jesus Christ, and the church is strengthened, and the church is, is grown and matures. Paul is called to a ministry. And some of the aspects of his calling to ministry are common to all of us. Some of them are unique just to Paul. And some of the aspects of his ministry are unique to those who are called to the special ministry of gospel proclamation, of, of pastoral ministry. And let's, let's again talk about a couple of questions here that will help us think rightly about this ministry. Here's the first question. Number one, what does it mean to be called to ministry? What does it mean to be called to ministry? I can remember whenever I was coming to Bethany Baptist Church uh, almost 20 years ago to interview for the position, to, to candidate for the position of youth pastor, and someone asked me about being called to ministry, and me being you know, kind of like a deer in the headlights, like I'm, I'm not exactly sure what that phrase even means, okay? I know that I'm supposed to be doing ministry. What does it mean to be called to ministry? What does that phrase mean? A couple of thoughts here as we think about Galatians 1 and being called to ministry. First, as we saw three weeks ago, Every believer has been called to salvation. Every believer is called to salvation. Romans chapter 4 verse 17 says that God gives life to the dead. He calls into existence the things that do not exist. So if, if you are a believer, God has called you. In his grace, he predestined you before the beginning of time. And at some moment in time, he, he called you. In his grace, he drew you to himself. Romans chapter 8 describes this. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, that's those of us who placed our faith in Jesus Christ, he also justified. We've been declared righteous. And those whom he justifies, he also glorified. And that, that awaits us in the future. And so if you are a believer, you've been called to salvation. But if you're a believer, you've also been called to ministry. You say, have I been called to the ministry? Good news, the answer is Yes. All of us have been called to ministry. Again, Kirk prayed from Ephesians 2.10, we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. You weren't powerful. You weren't, not many of you were 
of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. God, God chose you, God called you, and he's called you to a ministry. And no offense, but none of us are all that great, right? God's chosen the weak, the worldly, or the weak, the foolish, to proclaim the gospel to the world. So have I been called to ministry? The answer is yes. Second Timothy 1.9, he saved us and called us to a holy calling. Romans 11.29, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. I was talking with, with some people this week, and they said, you know what, um, I, I just don't know if I really have the, the bandwidth to, to do ministry to other people right now. And I said, well, you know, here, here's the good news, right? Here's, here's the good news. Whatever ministry you're in right now that God's called you to do, that's, that's the ministry that God has, has prepared for you before the beginning of the world. Am I called to ministry? The answer is, is yes. There, there isn't a person in this room who can say, you know what? God has called me to salvation, but he hasn't called me to really do anything. That's not how God's calling works. So God calls us to salvation, but, but simultaneous with, simultaneously with that calling to salvation is also a, a calling to ministry, a calling to, to do the things that God has called you to do. Now, another thing that I think is helpful for you and I to think about as we think about being called to ministry is this. Every vocation that a believer in, is in is vocational ministry in some senses. In other words, every job that you find yourself in as a believer, working at Caterpillar, working at the hospital, working as an engineer, working as as whatever it is that God has called you, working in the home, working in the school, wherever it is that God has called you and you're working during the day or during the night, whatever it is that you're doing, that's a, a calling by God. I was listening to a a message this last week that my dad gave on Colossians chapter 3 in his Sunday school class. In Colossians chapter 3, uh, this, is, this is a message he gave a couple months ago, and it, it says, he came to the passage in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. He talked about the sincerity of heart, and he says, whatever you do, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. In other words, as we engage in the work that God has called us to do, that's a divine calling. I was talking about that with someone in the hallway just before we came in here, in between the baptism and the service. Like God is, as they were talking about their job, they said, you know, I'm called to this. This is what God has called me to do. And I think that's a helpful way to think about the things that we do during the week. These are ministries that God has called us to. In fact, my dad in his uh, Sunday school lesson said this. He said, the ideal Christian job is not in a church though some such jobs are necessary. I appreciate him saying that. Um, The ideal Christian job is not in the church, though some such jobs are necessary, but the ideal Christian job calling is in a, a secular place before unbelievers who can see in your life day after day the incredible transformative and sustaining power of Jesus Christ working on an individual's life. I think my dad is exactly right on that. 
fact, it kind of helped me listening to that message, kind of helped me understand some of the decisions that he's made recently. You know, two weeks ago, he spent the entire week in the hospital, got out of the hospital on, on Monday, and I call and see how they're doing, and I found out that my dad's been working three or four hours a day. You know, he'll work for a little bit, sleep, work for a little bit, sleep. And I, I've asked him and mom about that. And so he's, well, this is, right now, this is what God has called me to do. Not every person who finds himself in bad health needs to make that same decision. But my dad sees right now the, the job that he's in is not, not just a job that he gets a paycheck for, but it's, it's a vocation, a holy calling from God. I think that's important for all of us to understand. What does it mean to be called to ministry? Well, we're all called to salvation. We're all called to, to do a ministry, to, to build up the church. All of us have been given gifts. And whatever, we, whatever work we find for ourselves to be doing, that is God's calling. But we also see in Scripture a, a call to pastoral ministry. To pastoral ministry. Ephesians 4 describes this more unique calling. Paul says that, that God gave the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, the shepherds and teaching, teachers. I think he's talking there about pastor-teachers. That's, that's elders to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So in other words, God has given the church pastor teachers. He's given people who have been called to this, this ministry. We might call it the ministry, as uh, Jason Allen from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary uses that phrase. It's, it's the ministry. Just kind of give us an easy phrase to use. Some have been called to the ministry to help all of us perform the ministries that God would have us do. And he says here, Paul's picture here in Ephesians chapter 4 is that the, the people who have been called to the ministry are, are helping all of us grow. So we no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth of love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so God has called some men and, and their families to this pastoral ministry where they, they equip the church through the preaching and the proclamation of God's word and through praying for the saints and shepherding the flock, they equip the church to do the work of ministry that God has called each of us to do. Which brings us to the next question then, okay? How do I know I've been called to the ministry, okay? So if, in terms of that pastoral, especially pastoral vocational ministry, how do I know I've been called to that? Well, let me first offer a couple words of discouragement, okay? This is from, again, Jared Wilson's book, The Pastor's Justification, And he offers some, some very sobering words about what it means to be called to this ministry. Now, this is true to varying degrees in various churches. And for anyone who knows anything about how I feel about this church, you would know that um, I cannot express how blessed by God I am to be in this place with this body. And so some of the things that Jared Wilson is saying here don't ring true with me because of the faithfulness of, of our body uh, and their kindness to me and to my family and the other shepherding work that other elders do. But, 
But I offer these words of discouragement for those who are thinking about being called to the ministry because I think we need to, to hear what sometimes others experience. And what some of the, I'm not saying I haven't felt any of these things, but anyway, here's what, here's what Wilson writes. He says, The pastor can be the loneliest soul in the congregation, wandering out in the point man position, scoping the land for danger, yet always feeling the, the tug of those needing his attention on the back of his coat. The pastor must be a multitasker, not just of his duties, but of personalities and problems. Many Christians are focused on their own journey. The biblical pastor, the biblical elder is too, but he's also focused on yours. And his and and hers and the next guy's. And and one day he might hold a dying woman's hand, grieve in the office with a couple on the verge of divorce, celebrate 100 days of sobriety with someone, and then go home and laugh with his wife and kids at a Munster's rerun. The pastor is ministerially multipolar. What you see as a pastor are, are heavy and secret things. Good pastors aren't always spilling everybody else's guts. One hour he may be rushing out on a benevolence call on his day off. The next hour, hear from another the accusation that he's selfish. So that's a true story for him. The accuser knows nothing of the benevolence call, and the good pastor must not feel compelled to defend himself using it as evidence. He trusts that God will vindicate him in due time and when all things are revealed. And the recipient of the benevolence may sometime, someday, may the next day be asking, what have you done for me lately? And by the way, there are many other things that, that uh, people could point to in, in the life of a pastor and say, yeah, but what about this? He says, this is what a pastor sees. Pastor, the pastor sees, the elders see, Sister Sirius concerned about the way Sister Broken lets her son squirm during the worship service without disciplining him, but the pastor knows that Sister Broken is recovering from an abusive ex and is growing in Christ and that to clamp down on her about her squirmy son at this point would risk further bruising a hurt in need of healing. And also the good pastor knows that little boys are squirmy, right? Very few people, Wilson writes, very few people lose sleep over the way the church is going, but the pastor does. And here's my word of discouragement, right? To be called to the pastor is to be called to bear a burden that other people can't always see, nor should see. And so it's important that we know that God is in this. As we send people into the the pastor, it's important that we equip them to understand that their sustaining grace comes from God. And this calling is not a calling based upon personality. It's not a calling based upon uh, their natural abilities. It's not a calling based upon their winsome personality. It's a calling that only God can give and only God can sustain us. And so as we as a church need to think carefully about that. So here are some questions that I would encourage a person who's thinking about pastoral ministry to ask themselves or for you to ask those who would be considering pastoral ministry yourself as we think about what this ministry is. And uh, some of these are adapted from other works. Uh, Jason Allen, again, wrote a book called Discerning Your Call to Ministry that I recommend to people. He has 10 questions. We only have five. But anyway, here, here's, here's a couple questions. Number one, how do I know if I've been called to ministry? Number one, do you want to shepherd God's flock? Now, the question isn't, do you want to preach? The question isn't, do you want to, to lead meetings? The question isn't, do you want to cast a bold vision? The question isn't, uh, do, you want to, um, do you want to 
to, to, to be the, the center of attention at times. The, the question is, do you want a shepherd? Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, and not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So the question isn't, do you want to preach sermons? It's not, do you want to cast a vision? The question is, do you want to, to shepherd do you want to tenderly care for the people of God? And notice this, if you, if you think about 1 Peter 5, chapter, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 2 again, it's not, do you want to shepherd a theoretical flock? The question isn't, would you, you know, do you have some sort of vision of this, this, am- uh, this amazing people who are always perfect? Do you want to shepherd that flock and be this, this bold leader that's leading these, these bold people who, who never smell bad or do bad things? Like, is that, I want to shepherd that flock as we, you know, take whatever area. For, no, he says, do you want to shepherd the flock of God that what? That's, that's among you. The, the, the people that you're with, the people that God has brought you into relationship with. Too many people have this unfair notion of what shepherding means. Pastors are called to shepherd the flock of God that is among them. To say, these are the people that God has brought me into relationship with. We've covenanted together in membership, and these are the people, by God's grace, I, I want to shepherd. I want to care for. This morning, as I think about just the, the baptisms that we were able to participate in. The, the thing that has kept me in ministry is, is the people that God has placed in my life to shepherd, to, to do life with. Four people baptized this morning is, is very special too, kind of newer to our church too. Two of the people who were baptized this morning, I've, I've known their entire lives. I was involved in the baby dedication of at least one of those, those who was baptized this morning. I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing to be able to not just shepherd some theoretical flock, but the flock of God that is among you. Is that what you want to do? Second question. The second question, do you meet the character qualifications? Do you meet the character qualifications? Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So in other words, as you're looking at yourself and saying, well, maybe God has called me into the, past, the, the pastor and into pastoral ministry, you ask yourself, do I, do I meet the, the character qualifications? And of course, not saying that anyone is perfect in all of these areas, but do I generally, as a person looks at my life, would they say, yeah, this person is not characterized by a lack of self-control. This person is not characterized by a love of money, by a person who's not in control of their, 
in their life, a person who doesn't care for their family well. I meet the, the character qualifications. Jason Allen says, if, if you don't meet God's standard for ministry, you can be sure he isn't calling you to it. These passages in 1 Timothy and Titus, they offer a clear and non-negotiable list of character qualifications for gospel ministry. A third question here. Do you have the abilities and giftings required to teach God's word? Do you have the, the abilities and the, the giftings necessary to, to, to teach God's word? We talked before about how we don't just look and say, well, that, that guy is, is eloquent, so therefore he must be, be a potential pastor. But we do say this. Do you have the abilities, the giftings required to, to communicate the word of God. Titus 1 tells us this, that a, a pastor, an elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Why? So that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. A person who's going to be a shepherd of God's flock needs to, when a person comes and say, hey, this is what I've read, this is what a person's telling me, a, a pastor needs to be able to say, okay, look, here's, here's where what you read is good. Or here's where what you read is, is bad, and, and here's why it's bad, and here's what God's word says about that. A person needs to have those general, general qualifications. And you know what a good church does? A good church takes a person who has that ability. As they, they come, they say, look, this is something I want to grow in. And, and by the way, this is both for men and women as they have this desire to, to instruct in those areas that God has called them to. A good church says, yeah, let me, let me take that, that gifting from God and help you grow in it. Because it's, it's, often, it's often hard to discern that ability to teach at, at, at the beginning, right? I can remember whenever I, I taught my first, my first lesson, I was really excited. I was teaching, I think it was from First Thessalonians. I was teaching a, a middle school, Sunday school class. And I spent, I spent weeks studying this passage and diving into the text and got, got there into the Sunday school lesson and I the Sunday school class was an hour-long Sunday school class. I began at, at 9 o'clock, and I was done at 9.06, okay? <laughs> now, now the, the eighth graders thought I was awesome. They're like, yeah, this guy is called to the ministry. We like, we like him. But the, the adults were a little more skeptical, okay? There was some, some training that had to go on, like, you know, what do you think you could have done to, to really dive into the text and understand it more, more deeply? Fourth question, do you have a history of fruitful ministry? A shepherd, 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 shepherd. We don't find people and say, hey, you want to be a shepherd? Let me make you a shepherd. We take the people that God has gifted with the ability to shepherd and we help them grow in that. Do you have a fruitful ministry? Can, can you look at areas of your life and say, look, God has been growing me in my ability to care for people? And very often, this is, I mean this in a very kind way, but very often people will come to me and they'll say, look, I, I believe that God has called me to ministry. I believe that God has called me to missions. I believe that God has called me to the pastor. I believe that God has called me to seminary and I've, I've sent in my application already. And I say, well, tell me about, you, you want to be a pastor. Tell me about the people you're shepherding now. Well, I'm going to go to seminary first. Or I'm going to do this first. Or once I get to church, then I'll be a shepherd. That's, that's not how this works. Are you called to ministry? If, if you can't say that you've seen God working in your life and encouraging his people, that's, that's not a sign that you've reached the maturity that you need to reach in order to be called to the ministry, the pastoral ministry, or even any ministry that a Christian would have. Fifth question. Fifth question, do you have the support and affirmation of God's people? Do you have the support and affirmation of God's people? And this is where each of us need to recognize we are part of God's calling on a man's life for pastoral ministry and his family. 
when I came to Bethany Baptist and sat down with their leadership, there was one leader in particular who wanted to take me out to breakfast, and he took me out to breakfast. He said, um, Daniel, are you, are you called to the ministry? And I said, I don't know what you mean. He said, are you, are you called to, to call to the ministry? I said, what does that mean? What do you call, like, what do you mean? He's, he kind of wanted me to say that I had had some sort of mystical experience where, you know, the, the, the heavens opened and suddenly there was this, you know, trumpet playing and, you know, the, the Bible came down from heaven and, you know, open, you know to Second Timothy 4 and then I began to preach. And I said, you know, that didn't happen for me. It's like, here's what I know. I, I believe that God has given me a desire to care for his people. I said, and I would love to do that at Bethany Baptist because I, as I'm around you guys, I believe that you have leaders who love the people and can, can help me understand how to grow in this. I said, but ultimately, how am I going to know that I'm called? I can't just stand in front of you and say, I'm called, hire me. You have to confirm that for me. I'm not going to know that I'm called until God's people say, yeah, we, we affirm that this is of the Lord. In other words, each one of us in this room who are part of Bethany Community Church, whatever church you're a part of, we have the responsibility before God to, to carefully evaluate the claims that people would make about their calling to ministry and say, yeah, we, we see God in that, or, or no, or, you're a nice guy, but, but we're, we don't see this type of ministry for you. It's a sacred calling. It protects a young man and his family, or an older man and his family who may be called to a ministry that God does not desire them in and is not going to to sustain the way that they need. And it protects us as a church too, right? Making sure that we have people who are qualified to open God's word to us, instruct us, and care for us and our families. The final question, are you prepared to lay down your life for the sheep, right? The pastoral ministry at Bethany Community Church could not... There's literally no other church that I can possibly imagine where this, this job could be any easier, but, but honestly, it's, it's still a tough job sometimes. And to adequately assess whether or not you're called to the ministry, you have to ask yourself this question, am I, am I prepared, have I, have I readied myself to, to lay down my life for the people that God has entrusted to me? Not just, you know, if there's a bus coming, will I push the people out of the way and take, you know, that's the dramatic, sure, um, and that's part of it. And if there was a bus, and one of you were there, and you said, I'm a member of Bethany, then I would, um, <laughs> then I would start running, you know. But it's, it's all before that too, right? It's not just laying down my life to die for you. It's okay, I need to model what it looks like to forgive when I felt like I've been wronged. When I feel like I've been slighted, I'm ready to forgive. Whenever I'm Whenever I, I recognize that, that, that life is, is tough and people are hurting, that I, I need to be ready to, to stop being self-centered, as is my tendency to do, and model love for others and sacrificial love. And if you're going to ask a person if you're prepared to do ministry, and, and of course, I'm, I shouldn't have phrased it that way because I would say I don't do that the way that I need to, and I, I want to God to grow me in that, but you need to ask a person who's thinking about pastoral ministry, is this, is this what you want to do? Is this where you want God to take you? Is this the journey that you're prepared to enter into? So last question then. How do we grow in this? How do we grow as, as ascending church? And just, I want to close with this because I, I decided to go ahead and get through everything and go a little bit long. But we have to consume ourselves with a passion for God's name to agree that it's, it's okay to give up other vocations and that, that we as a church want to be consumed with God's name being glorified by their people. 
We grow as a sending church by praying. We need to be praying as a church, as individuals, on a, on a daily basis that God would raise up laborers for the harvest from our church. That God would prepare men for pastoral ministry, church planting, they would prepare women for missions and the, the, the ministries of support that God has called them to, that we would be a church that is sending out laborers to the harvest. We need to be willing to go ourselves. I believe that it's true that there are more people in ministry than... There are people who are in ministry today that God has not called, and there are people who are not in ministry today whom God has called and desires you to be pursuing that. You need to be willing to go as God answers the prayer to send people. I would love to to talk with you. Other elders, other pastors would love to talk with you about God's call in your life in this area. We want to see men and women equipped for this ministry. And finally, a last thought here, we need to steward our, our gifts well. Future pastors are watching how we as a church treat current pastors. And I believe that I believe that it's one of God's graces in this church that, that people can look at the way that, that the church loves the pastors at Bethany Community, the way the church loves the elders, and say, look, that, that doesn't seem like a bad ministry to be involved in. It's hard, sure, but where people are mature and love the Lord, they're going to love the people who love them. By God's grace. We need to provide well for those who are seeking training in ministry. We set the bar high for ministry. We do everything we can to help people reach it by God's grace. All of us have been called. All of us have been called by God's grace to salvation, to fellowship with God. All of us, by God's grace, have been called to ministry to do the things that God has called us to do for his glory And some, by God's grace, are called to pastoral ministry to help us in that role of equipping us to do the things that God has called us to do. May we as a church desire to sacrificially prepare those who are called to that ministry of proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the call to ministry. We thank you that you, by your grace, have called each of us into relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ, through faith in him. I pray that you now would help us understand how to rightly respond to that call, to pursue that that call to a life of bringing glory to you. And for those, Father, who may be called to missions, to those who may be called to to church planting, to those who may be called to proclaiming the gospel within the context of an established church, for those who are called to the ministries of support, we pray that you'd work in their hearts and continue to sustain and prepare them for that ministry and help us to do everything we can to prepare them for that task. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.